You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Today, but when you get to Jonah 1, 7, uh, you stand with me for the reading of God's word. May our hearts be prepared to hear this word today. May our hearts be receptive that God changes us to be more like Christ every time his word is read. And so this is the word of the Lord from the book of Jonah Starting in verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done it, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, good morning, everyone. It's a great day to be washed in the blood, amen? All right. Um, awesome. So like Brendan said, we are going through uh, the book of Jonah, and we're going to be finishing chapter 1 today. Uh, so we've been taking our time going through a lot of just what's going on in chapter 1, and so we're going to be kind of speeding up a little bit uh, to get to the rest of the book. Uh, but we got a lot to cover. There's a lot of things I would like to say. Uh, from these verses. There's so much in there, but we're going to keep it very focused today for the sake of time. Um, so just to recap, uh, you guys know the story of Jonah. I'm going to give it to you one more time, kind of lead up to where we are, right? So Jonah uh, is the prophet of God in this time, and he's given a call by God to go to Nineveh, which was a very great, evil, and wicked city full of nasty warriors that could and would kill you because this is a conquering people. And Jonah uh, gets the word from God to go there and to tell them to repent, okay, because God is angry with them. And Jonah refuses, uh, which seems pretty, like, you know, maybe not the worst decision, right? Uh, But he refuses, and it says that he runs from the presence of the Lord, as he flees from the presence of the Lord. So he gets on a ship uh, heading to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction that God uh, called him to. And he's running from the presence of the Lord. And then we saw last week, God hurls this great, storm, okay, this tempest, and it's on the sea, it's raging, it's terrible and scary, and we leave off here with the crew uh, freaking out about what to do because they're going to die, they're throwing all the cargo overboard, uh, everything they have on the ship, trying to survive this storm, and meanwhile, God is pursuing Jonah, uh, and he will not give up until Jonah is destroyed, as we will see. Um, So that's kind of where we're at in the story. I would love to start off by praying this morning, asking God uh, to speak to us in his word, and then we're going to hop into verse 7. So let's pray together. Father, we love you, um, 
and more importantly, you love us, and we thank you for that. We thank you that the gospel is true for us this morning. We pray as we get into your word that you would help us to look to your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. May we not look inwardly to ourselves. May we not try to find our assurance in ourselves and in the things that we do, but rather, God, may we look to you. God, I just pray for everyone in this room this morning that is just in despair, that is in doubt, that in many ways is fighting for their life in you, Lord God, that you would give them peace this morning. God, for those of us that have been numb, that have been trying so hard, God, to feel something with you and have just been down, I pray specifically for those people, that you would lift them up, Lord God. You would lift us up graciously that we might behold you and worship you and glory in you. I pray as we read, let us not be distracted. Let us take these things seriously, and may we be changed forever, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, right out of the gate, I want to give you my two points. You're not supposed to do that because you're supposed to leave people hanging on when you speak in public, but I'm not going to do that. I trust you to pay attention, okay? Um, it's two major things we're going to look at. Like I said, there's a lot of information here in these verses, but there's two major things we want to focus on. Number one, human salvation is vain. Human salvation is vain. And number two, God's salvation is sure. God's salvation is sure. There's two major things we see in here, okay? So we're going to see the crew, Jonah, in this desperate attempt to rescue themselves from the treacherous sea, and we're going to see God's plan in order to do that today. So let's dive into it. Uh, So verse 7 starts off, uh, basically these uh, kind of pagan mariners, they are casting lots uh, to see why has this come? There's something obvious about the storm. This is the vengeance of some god, not uh, you know just a bad storm or a bad day at sea. They realize there's something different. They're uh, spiritual men in the true sense of the word, and they are um, you know casting these lots to see what's happening. And the lot falls on Jonah. So they turn to Jonah. And they start questioning him, what's going on here? Okay. So in these verses, there, there's three major ways we're going to see Jonah and the crew try to rescue themselves. Okay, and I want to go through those. Uh, quickly. And, but on the offset, I want to mention that um, these things are not bad within themselves. All the things I'm about to mention, they're not bad things. We, we should definitely have all these things as a part of our lives in Christ. But when we lean on them, when we trust in them, rather than in the gospel of Christ, we, we, we end up in some bad territory. So the first thing that we see Jonah lean on is his doctrine. This is doctrine. Now, doctrine is not a bad thing. I love doctrine. Every Christian should know what they believe and should study what they believe. But Jonah, in a unique way, leans on his doctrine. Let's read verse 8 and 9 so I can show you what I'm talking about. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and uh, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So immediately as he's questioned, okay, so obviously the lot falls on him. This is awesome how God does this and uses this. And then they start to question, okay, who are you? Where do you come from? Uh, someone mentioned earlier, it sounds like the Cotton Eye Joe song. So now you're going to be stuck with that for the rest of uh, the morning. I apologize in advance. Uh, but they start questioning him, like, uh, who are you? You know, what do you do? And it's funny because he doesn't answer that he's a prophet, probably because he's ashamed. But Jonah immediately claims his heritage as a Hebrew and his belief in the God of the universe who made the seas, controls the seas, uh, and the dry land. He's the God of everything, right? So he claims to know the God of the universe, right? 
And what we see here, now some people, some scholars have said, like, this might be him turning towards repentance, and maybe so. But at the end of the day, we can acknowledge Jonah is claiming something that he's truly not believing in his actions, right? He may believe that God is the sovereign God, right, omnipresent over everything, but yet he's trying to flee from his presence, right? And you can't flee from a God who's everywhere. It doesn't work that way. So Jonah is not acting in accordance with his beliefs, okay? So he's claiming something that he's not actually living. Now, what do I mean when I talk about, you know, your doctrine, trying to use your doctrine to save you? And the thing is that some of us seek hope and assurance of our salvation in believing the right things about God, and we miss the very source of the belief, right, which is God, right? So we, we claim the doctrine, we hold tight to the doctrine, and then we miss the source of the doctrine, which is God himself. And so this can play out in a lot of different ways, okay? Uh, it could be like, you know, I got my certain pastors I follow, my certain guys I read, and, and, and we know the true gospel, right? Or, or, or there, you know, it could be a lot of beliefs. So I'm not going to get into doctrine with you. I'm just saying that sometimes we feel safe in our eternity based on what we believe about God rather than knowing the true God. And so this is why, uh, for instance, the book of James uh, is James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. James is talking to them about uh, true faith, right? This faith versus works type thing. And he's saying that, uh, he said, you believe that God is one and you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder, right? He's saying that the demons believe God is one. They believe in God, right? They, they shudder at the idea of God because they are terrified of him. And you do well to believe, but that's not enough, right? The point is what uh, what we believe in uh, is the God of the universe. And so it's easy to kind of lean on, on just kind of what you know or maybe what someone else knew and experienced, right? And so this kind of works out sometimes with, uh, you know, children of Christian parents is that they, their parents believe. They know that for sure. So you kind of cling to that faith. It's like, yeah, well, I guess I'm a Christian. This is most of the story of my life. Uh, and, but, but really that's not the substance, right? The substance is, is knowing the Lord. It's what the doctrine leads to that is the most important. We want to know doctrine, not because we like having good things to say, but because we want to know God. That's why we know it. And so Jonah at least knew things about God, but in this particular instance, no matter how much he confessed that, it didn't lead to his repentance, right? Now, I do think there's merit to say when you don't feel strong faith, you know, when you don't feel like you are just loving the Lord, you don't really feel like you're doubting God, uh, it's very important that you have the word of God and then you can say, I'm going to cling to this even when I don't believe it. So I'm not saying that your heart has to be in this perfect place all the time, but I am saying that to lean on doctrine would be a sad thing because God is the reason for our salvation. So second thing, let's look at verses 10 through 12. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah confesses to them what was going on. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So the second thing we see is Jonah confesses, and Jonah gives them an out, right? So these guys uh, are basically struggling to figure out how they're going to save themselves. And Jonah says, look, and he kind of comes to his senses and says, look, I, I'm guilty. This is because of me. This is because of what I've done. The only way you're going to save yourself is you need to literally toss me into the ocean and the ocean will uh, stop. It will be at peace. So Jonah, in a very real sense, and I would say maybe even in a wise sense to some degree, Jonah surrenders to the wrath of God and says, look, there's nowhere else to run. 
The God of the seas is after me, and he controls the seas, and we're not escaping from anything, right? And so he surrenders to God's wrath. And you may say, okay, well, why is that a bad thing? Because I do believe there is some wisdom in him, you know, not trying to kind of escape it in some weird way again, right? It's good that he submits to it. But the problem is, is that Jonah is trying to save himself in his despair. Now, this works out in a few ways for us. I want to mention a few things for us. Some of us, we find ourselves often in the gloom of self-pity, okay? Self-pity. It's where we feel really bad for ourselves. We feel this despair. And it's almost like we feel like um, the need for our salvation. We feel the darkness of our sin. We feel the, this, the, the wickedness of our heart, right, which is a good thing to feel. I think we should feel that more often than not. But what this ends up leading to is this kind of like, instead of turning to Christ to be healed in our sin, is that we somehow find this like self-righteousness in our lowliness, okay? This is like a false humility is what you're going to think about, okay? It's like we think that somehow in our lowliness and our despair, we're so bad, we're so pitiful, we're so blind, we're so stupid, we're so awful, we need the Lord, that maybe somehow in that, Christ is going to look down and says, whoa, there's a person with a contrite heart, right? There's a person that's really low. There's a person that really knows what's up, this whole relationship between God and man thing. They're getting it. Therefore, that person deserves salvation, right? It's a self-righteousness. It just looks different. It looks different than your average Pharisee. It looks more like something else. And I would say well, this is a dangerous place to be, right? It's very dangerous to feel some sense of worth and value and belonging to Christ because of how, uh, how much you can feel, how much you can feel this despair maybe. And so it's a great thing to be humble, but false humility is very deadly to the spiritual life of a believer, Okay, you noticing a theme about these like self-salvation techniques is they're all focused on self. It's like you're thinking, the more I can look into myself and be a certain way, right, then I can be saved. And for others, I do think that maybe we find ourselves at kind of the end, right? Just kind of feeling like, okay, um, it's no, not worth trying anymore for salvation, right? I, it is impossible for me to be saved. And you kind of give up. And I really see this in Jonah, right? I see him kind of like at this point where it's like, well, I've really messed up here. Just toss me in the sea. It's over. I'm done. I rebelled as a prophet. I know who God is. This is the only way this thing's going to end. And so for a lot of us, we get to the place in our despair where we move from this like self-centered, uh, self-pity, almost narcissist mentality to we get to the point where it's like this is, this is done, right? And for a lot of you, maybe you've been there for a while. And I just want to say... Uh, that we should mourn deeply over our sin. Yes, we should be humbled. Yes, we should mourn. But let us always remember that Christ came to save the sick, not the well. You guys remember that verse, right? He said he calls himself the physician, right? He says, I came to save the sick, not the healthy. And so whenever we feel this despair, right, of our sin, of our shame, of our wickedness, of our vileness, of our undeserving of God's love, but deserving of God's wrath. May we always remember, praise be to God, because Christ came to save sinners, right? If you don't find yourself in the sinner category, you should be in more despair than if you do, right? Only perfect people get into heaven, and the issue is that none of us are perfect, right? None of us. Only the perfect will reign with Christ. Therefore, we look to Christ in our despair. But I was really pressed this morning. I know there's some of you feeling this despair, feeling this distance from the Lord, whatever you want to call it. 
And my, my encouragement is, is that we, we look to Christ. You can feel all the feels you want to feel. You can be the most desperate person. And we should be desperate. I'm not saying these are bad things within themselves. But when we trust in that desperation to make us worthy, it's a poor Savior. It's a poor Savior. Let's look at verse 13. Nevertheless, so after Jonah confesses this, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the the, the third thing we see, so not only uh, is there a reliance on doctrine and self-despair, but there's also a reliance on their deeds, okay? It says the men rode hard. It's literally they, they dug in, okay, with the oars. So it's back in the day before the motors, okay? They are digging in and they're fighting their hardest uh, to go against the waves. One thing worth noting here, that's not really part of what I'm doing this morning, but it is very important to the book of Jonah, is that Jonah uh, was, was unwilling to have compassion on the sinners that were perishing in Nineveh, yet these... Uh, sinful mariners were more than willing to have compassion on the perishing Jonah. I, I love that juxtaposition because Jonah, this is a big lesson in the, in the book of Jonah that God's trying to teach him is that God is trying to show Jonah his heart, his compassion for sinners and Jonah's just not getting it. But we see these pagan people that were five seconds ago just sacrificing to their gods and jumping up and down and praying that they might rescue them are, are, are more than willing that Jonah might not perish. And so when Jonah gives them an out to throw him overboard. Instead, they dig in with their oars and they row and try to get to dry land as fast as they can. But I love the Lord because um, it's like this one step forward, two steps back. It's not going to happen, right? These waves are coming, they're coming, they're coming, and they cannot save themselves with their own works. Now, we got to be careful here because we don't, we don't live in a... Uh, we live in a religious society, but we don't live in a society. Most of us didn't grow up in like a maybe like a fundamental kind of background where you were taught like to be very serious about your Christian belief where you, you know, and maybe some of you did, but most of us in here probably didn't experience this thing where like we wore clothes from the 1800s and had to live off grid with no electricity, right, to be holy. Most of us don't have that experience. Now, some of you for varying degrees had more religion than others in your lives as you grew up, but by and large, our culture tends to be you know, this guy's kind of cool, man. We just do our thing. You know, at least where I grew up, it's like, you know, I'm going to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth, baby. I'm just going to show up. The big man's going to be like, no, it's cool, man. You did all right. You know, come on in. Uh, it doesn't work that way, right? But believe it or not, we do find ourselves trusting in our own works. This is a common theme in our lives is that we think somehow, somehow, some way that we are going to be worthy of Christ. Right? And this could be how you feel. This could be what you do. This could be a lot of things. I mean, we just kind of feel like we might just be like, like somehow, even though Christ made the way with the gospel and everything, that somehow we're going to be the decisive factor in our goodness. That's just going to come out of us and it's going to somehow work. But we know that's not true, right? When we think about the gospel, we think about being saved, we think, man, it's, it's all of Christ. It's all of Christ. If he wouldn't have saved us, where would we be? Um, that's something important to think about. Um, it's kind of like this gospel plus works mentality. It's like, yeah, the gospel is important, and then we, we do our things. But here's what I want to mention this, okay? All of these things are good things, okay? Doctrine, knowing what you believe about the Lord is vitally important to your faith, okay? Despair, mourning your sin, knowing you're evil, knowing you need to repent, knowing you need the cross is vitally important to your Christian faith. And having good deeds, doing good things, honoring the Lord, following the Lord, obeying the Lord, these are all essential to your Christian faith. So I don't want you to hear this morning, it's like, we just need to abandon everything, okay, and just kind of go for it, okay? That's a bad, 
doctrine. But what, I, what I'm saying is that in these things, in these things, where is your trust? In the, what's fueling these things, okay? You want to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's fueling that? If it's not the gospel, if it's not being loved by God, it is a vain practice. I don't care how many times you do it. I don't care how much you jump up and down. I don't care how much you work. When you focus on yourself, you lose that assurance, okay? If you notice a theme, the theme of these things, the deeds, the doctrine, the despair, it's all focused inwardly, Okay? We have to remember that salvation is not inward, it's outward, right? It's not from within, it's from without. It's Christ on the cross, not Eric doing what he can. That's not the way. So human salvation is vain, but God's salvation is sure. I want to mention a few things here from chapter 1. There's a lot going on, uh, but let's go through three major things we see about God's salvation, okay? One is that God pursues Jonah, okay? This is like... Uh, the better taken, all right? We love Liam Neeson, I will find you and I will kill you, right? We, we all love that. It's a great, you get sucked in. And number two and number three weren't that good, but taken one was awesome. Why? Because there's a father who's gonna rescue his daughter and he will slay anyone and he's just like this, it's just freaking awesome, right? He's just fantastic. Um, we like that because there's something really unique behind that. And I think it speaks to a bigger story of that. And so our God is the same way, right? He's like, I will find you, Jonah, and I will kill you. It's going to happen, right? He hurls this storm, right? The God over the seas, he hurls this storm, right? And there's no escaping. It doesn't matter how hard they try, there's no escaping from them. And so we see this pursuit, one, in the way God hurled the storm upon the sea. We see it uh, in the way that, and this was last week, but I want to steal from it. We see this in the way that Jonah was... uh, woke up, right? He was awakened on the ship. And this, this matters, okay? You've got to ask the question, why was Jonah sleeping? There's lots of, it doesn't really tell us, okay? There's lots, you could guess. Maybe he was seasick. Maybe he was really tired. Maybe he ate too much. We don't know why he was sleeping, but we do know that he was sleeping. My personal opinion, this is extra biblical, is that he was probably trying to be numb to what he was doing, right? And this is why we take long naps often, is because we just feel like, you know what? I just I feel like I'm just messing up life, and today's not a good day, so I'm just gonna nap it away, and I'll wake up tomorrow, and we'll start fresh, right? Um, she's probably trying to be numb, but God, in His grace, will not let Jonah be numb. He's not gonna let him. He's going to face the consequences and the heart of what's going on inside of Jonah. God will make that happen. So He's awoken up. Says, "What are you doing, you sleeper? Get up! Call out to your God. We need somebody to save us, right?" So this is awakening Jonah, the reality of what's going on. Uh, thirdly, God made the lot fall on Jonah. I love this portion of text, okay? Like, okay, there is one other time I can think of it, probably several times in the Bible where this happens, but, you know, in the book of Acts, the, um, they're trying to find another apostle, right, because Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, and so they cast lots. Um, I don't think that's a prescription for what we should do. I think it's more narrative of just what happened, Okay. But these pagan guys are like, I don't know. We don't know what's happening. Let's just cast lots. And then whoever it falls on, I don't know if it's like a spin the bottle situation or some dice. And you pick a number one through ten. But nonetheless, it fell on Jonah. I love that God uses this means to call Jonah out. It's very, very important. It's awesome. And so Jonah got caught, right? God was going to make him get caught. Uh, Bo Hughes, who's a pastor in Denton, was, was preaching on this subject, and I love what he told his congregation. He looked at him and he said, I pray that you get caught. I pray that you get caught. And that's my same prayer this morning. I pray we get caught. 
all of our little nasty hidden sin that no one else knows about, I pray you get caught. I pray it's embarrassing. I pray you were found out, right? And God will find you out. He knows all and he will make sure of it. There's nothing, nothing in this world you can get away of. Nothing you can get away with. You will be caught. You will be found out. And God says, Jonah's going to be found out by the roll of the die. Uh, I mentioned this last service. I have to mention it again. Um, good luck watching football now. Okay, every decision is from the Lord is what the Psalms say. So now when you're rooting for your team, it's just going to be ruined. You're gonna be like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter how good someone is. It doesn't matter if they messed up the play. God decides a lot. So sorry about that. You're welcome. Okay, another thing. No matter how hard they rode, they were not escaping the storm, right? No matter how much they dug in, it was coming wave after wave right at the ship, and it would not um, work. And so God takes gracious aim at Jonah. Gracious aim. In his mercy, God tracks him down, and he will make him repent. And as we mentioned last week in a few other sermons, that as a good father, God disciplines those whom he loves, is what the Bible says, right? He does. He disciplines those whom he loves. So the discipline is coming. God is going to break you over and over and over again in this life. Your life is not going to be perfect. You are going to suffer. And that is because God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Number two, God provides grace when Jonah is helpless. I love this. God provides grace when Jonah is helpless. So uh, what we see, let's read verse 17 actually to see what happens here. Uh, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So after the uh, mariners realize and decide there is no hope anymore, okay? We are not going to save Jonah with our rowing. There's no way we're getting him on dry land. They come to the inevitable conclusion, it is time, okay? And they grab him throw him off the ship, and he is tossed into the sea, and the sea calms down immediately, okay? Then you get this picture of Jonah sinking to the depths of the ocean, okay? Cold, can't breathe, wet, right? It's an awful situation. Jonah is helpless at this point. He is sinking to the bottom. He has given up, and God appoints a fish of grace. God appoints a fish. The fish could have been coming from miles away. Who knows? But the timing was perfect. Jonah's sinking. He's swallowed. Right? This is amazing. This is God's grace. It's God's grace. He's drowning and God steps in and saves us. So he's, he's swallowed by a fish and he lives. This is truly meant to amaze us, okay? I know you may have read stories about this happening to people in real life being, you know, swallowed. This is a true story. Nonetheless, whether it seems impossible or not, this is here to amaze you, okay? Do not relegate this moment in Scripture to like a children's fantasy, okay? This is not. This is real. This happened right? God wants you to be amazed at his grace. He wants you to be amazed at what he can do. He wants you to be amazed at him coming in to the undeserving, helpless person and him rescuing them. This is amazing. This is awesome. This should excite us. This is important. God is graceful. He is loving. I hope you remember the first time that you've really noticed the love of God for your life, that you've really felt that spoken to you. I remember it. And oh man, I remember feeling in one moment so undeserving that I know I couldn't earn his love, so awful that I know I couldn't keep it if it were up to me, and so loved knowing that I couldn't lose it because he chose to love me. 
It's amazing. We need to remember this about the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. You can't lose it because God loves. His love is all satisfying, all powerful. His grace is amazing. It's amazing grace. And we see that as Jonah is helpless, sinking to the bottom in this tumultuous sea, God sends a fish. He sends a fish. Thirdly, God provides a savior. Okay, so this story of Jonah, if you remember, and we're actually going to read of the Jesus words in Matthew 12 in just one second, but the story of Jonah is meant to be a shadow and a picture of Jesus Christ. It's meant to be that, clearly. Jesus even says so himself. We're going to read about it in a second. But it's awesome, right? Christ is present in this text. He's present in all of Scripture. And this is important for us to get. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. It's going to be on the screen here. You don't have to turn there. But here's what Jesus says. He says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I love that. It's awesome. Preach the sermon for me right there. That's it. Okay? Jesus is the greater Jonah. He is what Jonah could never be, right? He is. He is the sacrifice. We're just saying it's finished on the cross. The problem of the sea of your sin and your destruction and your damnation has been calmed by the throwing of Christ into the sea. Can you see that? Can you imagine that? It's amazing. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Let's go over a few of these shadows. Jonah ran from the will of the Father. Christ submitted to the will of the Father, even to the point of death on a cross and sweating drops of blood. Jonah fled on a ship, and Christ, like a lamb, was led to the slaughter willingly. Jonah fled from the presence of God. Christ is the very presence of God. Jonah hated sinners. Christ loved sinners and gave himself up for them. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish so that he would repent. And Christ spent three days in the belly of the earth so that you could repent. In every way, he's the greater Jonah. In every way, he is the fulfillment of all things we long for. In every way, he is the outward salvation that we look to, not the inward salvation that we try to create. It's all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. He is the better one. So, therefore, instead of looking to self, we look to Christ. Instead of looking inwardly, we look outwardly. The slain Savior, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, we don't look at ourselves. So we look to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Jesus, or not Jesus, but in Isaiah 45, 22, it says, Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. Didn't say, look to you, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. He said, look to me, right? It's God speaking. So we look to Jesus. Just as Jonah was tossed into the sea, and it became calm, when Christ was tossed into the tempestuous sea of our damnation, it ceases to rage. The raging sea is now like glass. The tumultuous waves are at peace in Christ. The source of your salvation, once again, is outward, not inward. We have to get this. 
and we need to be reminded of it constantly. Do you know why your life goes like this? I believe in Jesus, thank you. Oh no, I'm not saved. Lord, I believe in you, you're amazing. Oh gosh. Why does it do that? It's because we don't look to Jesus. It's because we don't look to Jesus. So if I may be so bold as to ask you a few questions, do you long to be free from those burdens of your sin and shame? Look to Jesus. Do you long to be freed from doubt and fear? Look to Jesus. Do you long to be freed from self? Look to Jesus. Do you long to have peace that passes all understanding? Even in the midst of your sin, look to Jesus. Sinner, do you long to be saved? All you have to do is look to him. Nothing else. You look to Christ. He is everything. It is finished in him. I would like to pray together. I want to stand. If you guys could stand with me. I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I ran across it as I was preparing, and it's been a long time since the quote has felt this at home to me, and I hope it blesses you, and then I want to pray with you. Let's read it. Um, He says this, I knew what it was for months to cry out to God and find the heavens above me as brass because I had not understood clearly the soul-quickening words, believe and live but dreamed that by praying I could get myself into a suitable state to receive mercy or perhaps move the heart of God towards me. Whereas that heart needed no moving towards me, it was full of love from before the foundation of the world. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, we find comfort in that wording. Your heart needed no moving because you've loved us before the foundations of the world. God, it's that kind of love that we look to this morning. God, your love is great. It is greater than everything, anything we could ever imagine. You are merciful. You are kind. You are amazing. You have loved us when we were unlovable. So God, this morning, I pray for those in despair. I pray for those looking at themselves. God, would you force their eyes upward? God, as they hear the call to look, look, I just look at you and be saved. I pray they would obey. Help us obey, Lord. Help us obey. We are sinking. We are drowning. We cannot breathe. But in our helpless estate, you come to us. In our undeserving, pitiful state, you adopted us. In our vile wickedness and our hatred for you, God, you have shown us love. Love this world cannot know apart from you. God, don't let us stay here. Let us be amazed at your gospel. Let us be drawn in to this. I pray for everyone in this room, believer and non-believer alike. God, may we look and be saved. May we see the sign of Jonah, the better Jonah, Jesus Christ, slain before the foundations of the world that we might live. May we see that this morning and may we worship. 
this. It's in your precious name we pray.